Welcome back to Blue Skies and Green Pastures. Today's topic is shh, sex. Yes, we're going to talk about sex, but not in a way that a lot of podcasts talk about sex, but in a godly way. In fact, we're going to talk about how churches need to be talking more about sex. But first, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has been listening to my podcast. And I recently um, changed it on iTunes. So it may be working there now. I'm not sure if it was working before. But if you can't find me on iTunes, leave me a message and let me know. Because it should be on there. Or listen on whatever podcast app you prefer. Everyone has their favorite. It doesn't have to be the same one that I like. So today's topic, I wrote a blog about it already. I'm going to go from that, but I'm also going to add in some more from the Bible. So the topic of the blog was what evangelical pastors must start talking about or or why evangelical pastors must start talking about sex now. And what spurred me on to write that was when I was doing some research into progressive Christianity, I realized that one of the main reasons that 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 false church has grown so much is because of the LGBTQ whatever the letters are now, uh, movement has, has drawn, has created a huge divide in the church. Um, churches have always loved gay people because God loves gay people. Churches have, have never prevented gay people from worshiping God, from coming to church and learning about God. Well, maybe they have. I mean, that's a general statement, but it has not been the norm. I mean, I've gone to church all my life. I've never heard of a single instance of someone being like prevented from attending if they were, you know, just a member. But what these progressive churches want is for gay people to not just be allowed to worship and learn about God, but they want that lifestyle to be promoted as normal. And even in my opinion, they want it to be considered preferable in some cases, but mainly they just want you to accept them and they want you to, to say that that's how God made them and that God is going to, um, you know, God's fine with it. But is that what the Bible says? No, that is not what the Bible says. So these progressive Christians, and I use that term because that's what they call themselves, but I would disagree if they're actually, some of them are actually Christians. Um, But they, 
they take out the parts of the Bible that they don't like, which is a defining characteristic of progressive Christianity is altering the Bible and reinterpreting it from a human viewpoint. Now that's something that I was thinking about. Um, what let's talk about the Bible because the Bible is crucial to this topic. What is the Bible? The Bible is God's story. It is the story of, of God interacting with his creation, which is his world that he made and his people that he created. We are created beings. We did not evolve from slime or an explosion of, of gas. Who made the gas? Okay. Even if you want to stretch it a little and say that God created evolution, which I don't believe, but some people do. Um, somebody had to create that first atom. So you can call it intelligent design if you want, but somebody started this ball rolling. So we're going to call him God. And to me, he is the God of the Bible. So back to the Bible, the Bible is God's message to us. We must interpret it, interpret it from God's viewpoint using the whole Bible. We can't take out, you know, a verse here and there and say, oh, well, obviously God is like this or God is like that and God wants this and, and, and this is about us. Well, every time you try to make make religion about you, then you have left the purpose of God. Because the purpose of knowing God is to worship God, not to worship yourself, not to make up um, rules for living that you like, not to make up a way to heaven that you think is best and fair and acceptable and makes sense to you. No, the Bible has its own message from God. And, and that, that message is not meant to be altered. So if you go to a progressive church that treats the Bible as if it is, you know, an editable document, then you're in grave danger. You know, I, I urge you to reconsider once you start doing some heavy research yourself, and that is if you are a saved, born-again believer, the Holy Spirit will start to reveal to you where, where the, the progressive Christian movement is incorrect. So when it comes to sex, um, them trying to say that all sexual expression is okay, it directly contradicts the Bible. So who, who do we want to please? You know, should a church set itself up to make people feel good, to make people feel welcome, to make them feel, you know, like their preferred sexual experience is okay? Or should they tell people what God says? That is the job of the church is to to help people understand who God is and what he expects from us. 
So the if you have a pastor that is trying to make you feel good about your lifestyle that is opposing the Bible, then does that seem right? No. I mean, nobody likes to be told that they're sinning. Nobody likes to be told that their beliefs are not acceptable to God. But that is the whole reason for the Bible. And if you don't study the Bible, you're not going to know that. And if you study it and, and you just like uh, draw a black line through the parts that you think aren't nice, then then you're lying to yourself. So we have to have a correct understanding of the of the purpose of the Bible, and that is to understand what God wants, not not to. Um, but see, the Christian progressive Christians, their understanding of the Bible is basically it's a self help book. It's a guide, and they use it more like a reference book than a than a message from God. It's not. It, that's that's incorrect. I mean, I read some horrible, horrible Bible interpretation on a progressive Christianity website last night. That it it was very misleading, and this is what those people do: is they they will give you a whole bunch of verses from the Bible. So oh, you're like oh, these people believe in the Bible, and then underneath that will be their explanation and and actually like. Uh, their reasons why what that says is wrong and that how traditional Christianity has gotten it wrong all these years and they will blame it on a specific person, on fundamentalism and blah, blah, blah. But those, those beliefs, those are not recent. Those beliefs are in the Bible themselves. They, they go back to Hebrew times. If someone tells you that, you know, oh, you know, modern Christians have just totally reinterpreted the Bible, you better do a little bit more research because that's that's just a lie. And once you see the Bible as a the coherent message that it is, you will see that it is a very simple message. You don't have you don't have to change it. No one no one needed to change it because it all makes sense. When you have the Holy Spirit, it will jump out at you and you'll be like, oh, God was just saying the same thing over and over again. And that message is this. Listen closely. God created us. We sinned. We are now separated from him and we need a savior so that we can be reunited with God. A savior. Jesus was our savior from our we were con, we were condemned from our sin for our sin but progressive christians have eliminated that do you see how dangerous that is to to eliminate the main message of the bible and then make it into something new it's totally wrong so let's get to Back to the sex thing. Well, the American church is, it's going through some changes. And it, I think it's actually a good thing. Um, politics and, you know, culture 
they they have ups and downs and where people are more interested in God and people are less interested in God. And a lot of times it has to do with um, how comfortable they are. So when things are going well financially, people are not so interested in God. But then when there's a recession or a depression or a plague or whatever, then people turn back to God. It's the same story over and over in the Bible, and it's exactly what is happening in our world again. And, you know, that's that's a normal way um, of humans to get comfortable and get lazy and then to get scared and to start looking for answers. It's just what we do. And I think you could say that God made it that way. He, he put that in us to keep us safe. I mean, if, but I think you can see that the more comfortable um, and more technologically advanced and more quote perfect the world becomes, the less people think that they need God. And I was reading a, a really interesting article last night about how in the early 1900s, I'm talking like 1910 or whatever, and even before that, that the progressives were hard at work and they were already creating a religion of science, just like what we have now. It was started a hundred years ago and they viewed fundamentalist, what they called fundamentalist uh, Bible believing Christians as a threat, even a hundred years ago. And what were they a threat to? Eugenics. This article was talking about how eugenics was very popular a hundred years ago and that people who believed in God and saw that this was a bad thing were, you know, a hindrance to the progress of eugenics. Well, that's another topic, but I just wanted you to know <clears throat> that these same people are also behind the progressive church because the progressive church is going to trick people into accepting um, unbiblical ideas, you know, such as that um, whatever means to whatever, you know, if it's something that's helping people, then even if you have to do something bad to, to get it, it's okay. And there's a, there's a term for that. I, that just slips my mind, but the Bible doesn't say that the Bible doesn't say that, well, it's okay to do something bad if it helps someone. Um, and now when I say bad, I'm talking about really bad. Like, um, it's okay to sterilize, you know, millions of people because then there won't be so much hunger in the world. And it's okay if you do it without them knowing it. And it's okay if some of them die when you're doing it. No, the Bible does not, God doesn't work like that. And he doesn't expect us to work like that. So God also doesn't want us to tell people that, sexual freedom is a good thing. In fact, the Bible is very specific that the wages of sin is death and that sexual immorality is a sin. What is sexual immorality? 
sexual immorality is very uh, simple concept that that is any sex that is outside marriage between a man and a woman. Now, it doesn't have to be just sex to make babies. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but it does say that the kind of sex that they were having in the Bible, they were literally using it in the worship of their pagan uh, gods. Um, It was so common that God warned the, the people of Israel that when they went into the promised land, that they needed to stay away from those women. He was specifically warming, warning the men. And I, I don't think a lot of people realize this lesson. God told him, look, if you stay, if you don't stay away from those pagan women, you're going to end up worshiping their gods and you're going to be destroyed. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. They, they went into the land, they married the women who worshiped idols, and then they started worshiping those idols, and their whole culture was destroyed by idolatry. Now, God has a plan. He's going to redeem Israel, but in the meantime, the whole world is, is suffering from the same sexual idolatry, because that's what it is. Um, sexual immorality is the same thing as sexual idolatry. It is putting your sexual pleasure, your desire to have sex any way you want with anyone you want above your duty to obey God. And churches that, that deny that fact, they are denying what the Bible says. So let's read some verses what does the Bible say about sex? This is from the openbible.info. You can type in, uh, you know, what does the Bible say about and get uh, lots of verses there. So 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Now that that is like a really deep concept that tells me that uniting with a person sexually is more, more, um, God takes it very important, uh, takes it seriously, more seriously than we, you know, humans do. We don't understand exactly what is happening But when God said that um, he created Adam and Eve and that when they became, when they got married, they would become as one flesh. He is also saying that when we have sex with someone, we're becoming as one flesh. So it means more to God than it does to us. It's not just a uh, momentary pleasure, uh, you know, a physical outlet or whatever, um, just like having fun, hooking up or whatever you want to call it. No, it, it's, this is something serious, but the devil has totally destroyed the knowledge of that in our society. Very few people realize that sex is supposed to be holy. 
So Hebrews 13, 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Adultery is another topic. Um, and churches have always been, um, you know, have always said that adultery was wrong, that a married person should not have sex with an with a person that they're not married to. But even that has really, uh, you know, kind of become like somewhat less bad to some churches. It's like, just don't talk about it, you know? And, you know, even preachers are doing it. So the, the devil has really done a number on the church. First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That's pretty clear. Matthew 5, 28 says, um, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And that was Jesus talking about um, the Ten Commandments says that, that you should not commit adultery. Well, then he says, But I say that even lusting after a woman is like committing adultery. So, Jesus was saying that even, you know, our thoughts can be sins so that we have to protect our minds from those thoughts. That's why pornography is a sin, because what are you doing? You're looking at pictures of women and you're lusting after them. You're committing adultery. So pornography is a sin. And it's a very common one. It's in the church. It is a very terrible scourge in the church and in the world. Ephesians 5.3 says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So he was talking there to the early Christians and he was telling them to stay away from sexual immorality. Now, how can they do that? Because it says in Galatians 5.19, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. And then in Galatians, I mean, and then in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, it says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. He was saying that, you know, sec the, the temptation can be strong, so it's best to be married. But some, he also said that some people, you know, could live s single lives if they were able to fight that temptation or if they weren't very tempted. Um. And then further down in chapter 10, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. That, that is not common to man. In other words, everyone has temptation. But, he says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape 
that you may be able to endure it. So he's saying, okay, you're tempted, you're tempted to sin sexually, but God will provide a way of escape. Well, that way of escape must be taken by you. I mean, if you see an escape hatch, but you just stay where you're at, then that means that you did not, you did not accept God's escape. You decided to sin instead. So, I mean, you know that you should not be looking at porn on the computer, then don't go on your computer if it's too, um, if it's too tempting. That's your escape. What? Do something else. Uh, read your Bible. Go for a walk. Talk to someone about your feelings. Um, whatever it takes, pray and trust God. God's, God's way of escape is by depending on him when you're weak. So the Bible says that when we are weak, he is strong. But how do we use that? Well, it literally means we have to believe that God can stop us from sinning. And we have to ask him to stop us. And then we have to believe that he is stopping us. If we ask him and then we do it anyway, then that shows that we're still living in our own power. And that's pretty common because the flesh is strong. The spirit is weak, but the flesh is strong. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that means that we have the Holy Spirit that is trying to help us to do the right thing. But our our flesh is weak. Why is it weak? It's, it's weak because we don't practice the spiritual disciplines that make it strong, which is going to church, which that's a big deal with young people today is they don't think they need to go to church or not just young people, but a lot of people, they think churches are bad and they don't like what they hear from the pulpit. So they don't go. Well, church is a place where you can be strengthened and your ability to resist temptation comes from being strong. So how can you resist temptation? Go to church, listen to that sermon, pray, worship God, um, and live in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in your own strength. Be constantly asking God to help you. Now, progressive Christianity does not go by that type of uh, belief. So you're not going to hear that. You're not going to hear that you need to submit your will to the Lord. And that's what you have to do in order to escape these sexual temptations. So what else does the Bible say about sexual temptation? Um, for Ephesians 5, now this one is a uh, one that a lot of people don't like. <clears throat> you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now, that doesn't mean that if you've ever done anything bad, you, you can't be in the kingdom of God. It means that if, if that is who you are, in other words, you are an unforgiven sinner. You have not asked Jesus to be 
your Savior and you have not believed that he died for your sins and you have not repented of your sins and you have not you are not living in uh, submission to God's commands, then you're not going to be in the kingdom of Christ. So the progressive Christianity version of Jesus, they would not agree with this verse. They think that everyone's going to be in the kingdom of God. They think that everyone is forgiven. They think that all sins are forgiven. Uh, you know, some people call it easy believism. Oh, as long as you believe in Jesus or claim to be following Jesus, you can pretty much do whatever you want. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus says, if if you love me, you will obey my commandments. That means that, you know, true believers live differently. We are separate. We don't indulge in sexual immorality. And we, we believe that there are standards that God gives us in the Bible who, uh, who made us and he gave us this message and this way of living that he expects from us until he comes back again, because Jesus is coming again. And that's another thing is it seems like the progressive Christians, they don't uh, like to focus. I actually read that they do not believe, or at least this one person that I was reading, the verse that tells us that when we believe in Jesus, that we're going to have eternal life. This author interpreted that as, as basically having a good life on earth. He did not believe in eternal life with God, as in living forever in the kingdom of God, which is not currently on earth yet. But that's not what the Bible says. The kingdom, the kingdom, yes, the kingdom is inside us, and that is the Holy Spirit. But the, but the, the kingdom is also a future, literal, and real kingdom of God that is going to be a fully restored earth that is no longer under sin. Um, now, what should you do if you've been living in sexual immorality, if you have same-sex attraction? What should you do? Well, you should ask God to help you. You should ask God first to forgive you. For and First, you should admit to that the things that you've been doing, the way you've been living, your thoughts, your desires, your actions are sinful in God's view. And that can be, you know, kind of a painful experience. And there may be tears, there may be extreme heart pain as you're, as you admit this to yourself. But that's okay, because the Bible said, talks about repenting in tears. And, you know, that's how the human, human, you know, emotions work. When you are forced to admit your sin, it's normal to cry. And you might cry for, you know, more than once. But that, that repentance is the step that is necessary uh, to get to, to get to forgiveness. And, and that's the step that many progressive Christians, 
seem to leave out is that repentance, that admission of guilt. And why is it so important? If you look up the the word humility and humble in the Bible, it is when we when we bow before God, when we we throw ourselves at God's mercy in humble submission to his holiness, that is when our lives change. As long as we like stubbornly refuse in our own pride to admit that what we're doing is wrong, we're nothing's going to change. We're God's just going to stand there and wait, or he's just going to sit on his throne and watch us, you know, destroy ourselves. Um, You know, the Holy Spirit could be prompting you, but as long as you, as long as you refuse to admit it and try to justify it, which is what they do in the progressive church and many churches and the social justice movement is they justify sin. And that sin is sexual immorality in all its various forms, which is any type of sex that is not uh, between a man and a woman that are married. So if you're married and you're having sex with your wife, then that's fine. You don't have to be making a baby or doing it a certain way. But if you are not married and you're having sex with anyone else, if you're having sex at all and you're not married and you're not married to a uh, the opposite sex, then according to the Bible, which is written by God, you're sinning. But if, if you try to you know justify that in any way, then you you're not going to be uh, able to stop doing that. So if you if you tell yourself, well, I want to stop, but that's just who I am, then you're still justifying it. You know, I want to stop looking at porn, but I'm, you know, I like it. Well, you're, you're justifying, you know, that your every excuse that you use to, to not stop sinning is justifying yourself when what you need is to be justified and sanctified by God. And that's a humbling experience and it can be painful and you may need, you know, the help of a, of a godly friend or pastor to help you through that process. But that's when you'll start to heal. It's like, that's the surgery. That's like cutting out the disease. So get that out. And then, then you'll be free to rebuild and heal your heart and start your new life. And in it, and God can do it. God can change you. God can do that miracle in your life. If you will, if you will, humbly throw yourself at his mercy. And that's what, that's what he excels at. That's what he is so good at is saving us from ourselves. That's what he, that's his whole purpose in uh, dying on the cross is to save us from ourselves. So I, I had, I had said a lot more, but I didn't realize that my computer had stopped recording so that's probably plenty right there. Um, I, I, I hope you'll go to openbible.info and read the verses for yourself. Click on the highlighted text, read them in context, and really get the um, 
the the big picture of what God has to say about sex. And also, um, so Google, you know, search sexual immorality, but also Google God's plan for sex. So because sex is a good thing, it's a gift from God, but the devil has, has perverted it and distorted it just like he has all good things and turned it into something that can be used wrongly. Um, so the more you learn about God, the more you see how perfect his creation, his plan is, his design for human relationships and everything is, is perfectly done. And it is not up to humans to change that. So the more you trust God, and if you, if you don't trust God, none of this is going to make sense. If you, if you're not really trusting God, then I hope you'll go back and listen to my podcast that I did about trusting God. Uh, it's, I forget the exact name of it. It says something about a devotion about fully trusting God. Um, because only when you, when you realize that he is able and willing, that he loves you and that he wants to make a difference in your life and that only by surrendering to him is he going to make that difference. He's not going to he's not going to be in the passenger seat. He wants to be in the driver's seat. But you have to trust him to turn your life over to him. And the more you get to know him and you see that you can trust him, the more you will trust him. And then you can even give him your sexual sins and your sexual life if if you're you know attracted to the same sex even then uh you know something that big he can fix it so thanks for listening and i'll be praying that everyone who listens to this episode will um will be blessed by it and will if you're if you're trapped in a in an ungodly sexual immoral immoral life i will be praying that you will humbly submit to God. Thanks for listening to Blue Skies and Green Pastures. You can leave comments and um, messages on the Anchor app, or you can send them to me at blueskiesandgreenpasturesblog at gmail.com. And you can read my uh, full post about this topic, which is a pretty short post on my blog at www.blueskiesandgreenpastures.com. Thanks again. Bye now.